Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space here in West Limerick 102. My name is John Keeley. So join the studio here by Anne. Shane's on the other end of the telephone in Dublin. And Sister Mara Grace is somewhere in the United States in Tennessee in a place called Nashville. Shane, yourself and Sister have got a few things to talk about. You might share, please. <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> so like I said at the top of the programme, we invited Sister Mara on this morning because, of course, she is a member of the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia. So, Sister, very much welcome to the programme. Thank you so much. And the reason we invited you on is, of course, the official confirmation uh, to what was rumoured for quite a number of months, actually, uh, <laughs> at Christmas, that the sister, the the you call it, your, your nickname is the Nashville Dominicans, is it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, you know the Nashville Dominicans. Well, the Nashville Dominicans are coming to Limerick, and not only that, but I t- understand you're actually going to be looking taking over the Dominican Community House in Limerick. Yes, the, the bishop has so graciously offered to, um, and the provincial of the Irish Dominicans has offered to let us live in the priory. We, uh, we found out that the Dominican friars are actually leaving after the Dominicans being there for 800 years. So um, when Mother heard that, I think it was kind of irresistible. We needed to be in a Dominican hub that has been there from, from almost the beginning. Yes, I was thinking about that, right? It's, it's continuing uh, the Dominican uh, presence in Limerick City, which, as you said, is there for 800 years. And, of course, this marks a bit of a trend in Limerick over the last number of years. A couple of years ago, of course, the conventional Franciscans, they were the ones that used to be on Henry Street, which is what most people associate them with. The Henry Street Franciscans, obviously, they 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 closed up the, 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 the church. Mm-hmm. It's now part of Mary Immaculate. And, of course, in one sense, but the Franciscan tradition was also kept alive in Limerick by our Franciscan friars of the renewal, our Myros, our Myros monks. And then, of course, uh, the Jesuits have left the city centre, and, of course, they sold uh, the sh- their church on the Crescent, and it was taken over by... It was going to be developed, and the builder, unfortunately, was died. And, of course, the Institute of Christ the King Sovereign... Um, has recently taken over that as well. So now, of course, the Dominicans, the friars, are leaving, but the sisters are coming, which is great news. Sister, okay, yes. we're going to ask, who and what are the Dominican sisters of St. Cecilia? That's a great question. Well, we are a community, we were started in the United States. So Dominican religious women, it's unique in the United States that they didn't come from other countries. Most of the religious orders in America came from other countries. Um, but how the Dominican sisters started in America was in the friars were in Kentucky and realized that there was this need for education among the young. So at Mass one day, the, the friar, the priest, preached about the need for this and asked for volunteers. And so nine women volunteered. And that's how Dominican life started among the women religious in America. So our community um, came to, four sisters from a Dominican community came to Nashville at the request of the bishop, the bishop of Nashville, in 1860, and established a St. Cecilia Academy. It was a school for young women. (coughs) So we're currently celebrating over 150 years of being a community. Um, And so the, the, there's very much a uh, love for love for the um, the South. We live in the South. You know, if you're familiar with America, there's the North and the South. We we were one of the first establishments in the South. Um, and so the Dominican Sisters of Saint Cecilia, we we continue the trend of starting schools. So we teach in schools throughout 
the country and now also in a, in a couple other countries. And soon to be, we're very excited about being in Ireland as well. Uh, and in terms of your, um, you, you, okay, so you, you were founded kind of, what it, your charism is predominantly education, is it? Yes, that's what, what, kind of our work. I would say, though, our, our charism stems from our life of prayer. Okay. So it's when St. Dominic established the order, um, he established a very structured prayer life. You know, we, we live this contemplative life, which a lot of people don't see, you know, because we're at school, we're out um, giving retreats or what, all kinds of different apostolic works. But our, the heart of our life is our life of prayer and contemplation. So our sisters, we, we gather uh, different times throughout the day for times of prayer. We have a silent period of meditation in the morning. Um, we celebrate the Mass together as a community uh, every day. We, we pray the Divine Office, or sometimes called the Liturgy of the Hours, three times throughout the day, um, the Rosary. So we have different times of prayer, and this is what feeds our, our work in the apostolate, in our teaching. Um, that, so the, the heart of our life really is our life of prayer. And St. Saint, Saint Dominic, I think he knew that you can't give what you don't have. You know, So if we're going to try to preach the gospel, if we're going to try to give people the Lord, the message of the Lord, we first need to be steeped in prayer, in deep prayer and union with God. And so I think that's the heart of our, our life as Dominicans. But then there is that also very active uh, life of teaching or educating um, and evangelizing for the salvation of souls. So I think those two um, aspects of our life are inseparable and are very important. Um, can't we can't live our Dominican life without either one of them. Mm. It's it's an interesting one. I have, as we say, observed the Nashville Dominicans from a distance for a number of years because you're one of the few congregations in the United States um, where basically your novitiate is bursting at the seams. <laughs> yes, we're, we're very blessed with um, many beautiful vocations. The uh, novitiate, we, so the first four years of, of being in the convent here in Nashville is called the novitiate. Um, so right currently we have about, we have 650 sisters that are in the initial stages of formation in the novitiate. We, we get an average of... Sorry, sorry uh, sister, did you say yes. 50? Yes, five, five zero. zero. Okay. Yeah, so that's the first four years. We have 50 sisters. Um, and the Lord just blessed us with vocations. Um, we never take them for granted, you know, but the, uh, about an average of 18 young women enter. And these young women are, you know, talented young women that could be doing anything with their lives, but they've chosen to respond to the Lord's call to enter. Um, and so they, you know, they do all kinds of different things. We have some that were engineers or we have one that was a professional ballerina. Uh, we have some that were, you know, firefighters. Some were just right out of high school. Some um, are in the midst of, of their secondary education and university. All different stages, but the they they experienced the Lord calling, and they responded with a generous yes. Can I ask you a kind of a tough enough kind of a question, sister? Oh, sure. Sure. It's just in terms of, while it's wonderful that so many uh, young women answered the call, could I ask, how many would go on to make final profession? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I it's hard to say a hard, fast number. I think, on uh, to give you an idea, I entered with 13 and 10 made vows. Oh, and wow. then the very next year, the nine entered and five made final vows. So it, it just kind of depends on the year. Um, mm -hmm. One year we had 23 enter and uh, eight of them made final vows. So it's, it, I don't know off the top of my head the average of how many mm. you know, stay but throughout it, the It whole. varies. It varies. 
It does. Mm. But that's that's actually quite healthy uh, in some regards because I think that's something that um, religious orders are more and more looking at in terms of uh, those that are serious about promoting vocations. They're not just promoting vocations in the sense of promoting vocations to the religious life, which is important, but it's also about guiding people to find what they are called to in life. Exactly. Exactly. And I found, um, I remember when I was discerning, I was scared that as soon as I, you know, called, I'd be stuck and be captured, you know, but I found to be the total opposite experience that the sisters were really, they want, they wanted me to be happy. So they wanted to help me find the Lord's will. So, you know, young women that have entered and left, I have not met one that's regretted that decision to enter. You know, Mm -hmm. the formation we receive, um, it's never in vain. And it, it helps young women that the discern it's not their vocation it helps them to be better wives and mothers well that's that's the whole thing because you you know you by spending time to discern what you are called to do then you make the right decision in many respects um one of the interesting things i find about the the nashville dominicans and i it's this is a it's it's, it's it, i have a friend who's a sister um and a, a sister in religious life as well and anytime i want to rise her i i start this discussion and i mention the h word and the h word is the habit so uh-huh. the, Nash- the Nashville Dominicans, um, as a congregation after the Second Vatican Council, ye reviewed, you know, following the teachings of the council, ye went back to the sources, ye reviewed your foundation, and as a congregation, ye decided to keep your habit. That's correct. Yes, the um, the habit was seen as um, something that that unified the sisters. It's a a great gift to be able to wear, although. It's true, too. The habit doesn't make the sister. You know, it's the consecration that makes the sister. And um, I myself grew up with sisters. Um, some wore the habit, some didn't, but they all had a deep influence in my life. You know, so I, I really treasure the sisters that I've known that have, you know, chose to wear the habit. Their communities, some communities chose not to. Um, so I've had great experiences with both. But um, for our community, we, d- we discerned that it was important for us, ourselves, to wear the habit, to be a reminder. You know, when I look down and I see my habit, it reminds me that I'm totally the Lord's, you know. Um, and then also when other, when other people see it, it's that witness of you're called to something beyond this world. You know, if, even if, so, you know, I've run into a child who never has seen a sister before. When they see the habit, there's something about uh, that that reflects heaven. Um, so a for me, the habit's a great gift, um, but at the same time, if the sister that's wearing the habit um, is a witness, is not a witness of the gospel, the habit's not going to be effective. So it's not what makes the sister, but um, I'm, I treasure mm. the, the gift of wearing the habit. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I have to say, I have this vision of four sisters in black veils and white habits walking around the, the middle of Slimerick City. And I have to say, I'm actually looking forward to seeing the reaction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, uh, the, the, I suppose, one of the other things, I suppose, is, you know, um, why are you coming to Limerick, I suppose? It's a, very, it's a very utilitarian question, I suppose, but I suppose it's one of the things that people will ask. Why has the bishop approached this particular congregation and asked them to come to Limerick? And I suppose it's asked in a very particular context in Limerick at the moment because we, you know, your your main apostolic work, if you like, has been in the area of education, if you like. 
but we also have had a situation where we've, we've a lot of teaching we've had a lot of teaching orders in Limerick City um, going back to the time I'm actually reading a, a, a biography of one of our of one of our previous bishops who encouraged the religious sisters to teach and to educate people in Limerick City but sadly at the moment like we have the closure of the presentation school and it's called Carmel and the Salesian school out in Fern, Fernbank so I suppose some, some people would be saying well what is it exactly that the Dominicans of St. Cecilia are going to bring to Limerick City, are going to bring to Limerick Diocese? I think it, it's a great, we're kind of asking that ourselves, you know, like, Lord, what, why are you calling us to um, this place? And I think for the first thing that comes to mind is we just, our community in particular has a great love for the Irish people. Um, we owe so much in our country to those faithful missionaries who have come to America and have really preserved the faith in America. Um, you know, so many of our sisters actually have uh, descendants from Ireland, and yeah, when when Mother announced we were coming, you could just the, the excitement was tangible. You know that we we get this opportunity to give back in whatever way we can to this country who's done so much for us. Um, so in Limerick, you know the the we hope to come in the spring to meet with the bishop and kind of get a better idea of how we can best serve um, the diocese of Limerick. But um, we know one thing is that we um, we just want to come to get to know the people, to get to know the uh, culture, the customs. You know, I, I w- Sister Rosemary and one of the other sisters who will be coming, she's a great guitar player. And so we've been um, learning all kinds of Irish music together. So we're, 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 you know, getting excited about the idea of just getting to know the people in Limerick and how we can best serve there. Um, of course, yes, education is our area we're most familiar with, but we'll just be discerning, you know, what is the Holy Spirit calling us to do in Ireland? Um, I know some of our sisters have recently gone to Scotland <coughs> and to the Netherlands, and in those countries, they're, the work they're doing is a little different than our typical being in school. So we'll just kind of need to discern and see um, what would be best for the people of Limerick, what would be best for how our community can serve that. It's an interesting one, of course, because I understand that one of the sisters that's coming is actually Irish. Yes, it's her sister Katrina. Um, mm. She she grew up in County Wexford, and she's ah, so woman, excited. A woman, a woman of the Deschamps. That's this could be interesting. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, so she, um, her, she's very excited to be coming back. She entered in the year two thousand eleven. Um, so she she's still in the stages of initial formation. Hasn't made final vows yet, um, but she has been in the community for five years now and um, is so excited when to, to go back and, and be in her own her home homeland. So um, Sister Katrina is, is the one from Ireland and then Sister Beatrice, Sister Rosemary and myself are the other three that will be coming. Sister and Beatrice. the other three are all uh, uh, Americans. We are, yes, the three of us are American citizens. Okay, very good. Well, it should be a, it should be an interesting adventure, if nothing else. I would say uh, coming to Limerick, and of course, just you know, as as we've we've discussed on this program a number of times, you're coming to Limerick at an interesting time because, of course, Limerick is hosting its own um, first diocesan synod in 75 years in a few weeks. So it's uh, it's 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 timely because one of the issues actually that came up for synod is actually the whole thing about faith formation and education and development for people as well so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting time in that regard but one of the things i wanted to talk to you about as well is we're recording uh this interview this evening or today rather 
at the Come and See Studios. And we're actually recording it on the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord, uh, which is the 2nd of February, Candlemas Day. But it's also, of course, the World Day of Prayer for Religious Life. And it also happens to mark the end of the year for consecrated life, which we've covered a number of times on the program. So I suppose one of the questions or one of the things I'd like to discuss with you is, what do you see as the role of religious life in the modern world? I suppose if I put it to you this way, many, you know, we have a great increasing understanding of the baptism of all the, all the faithful and that all of us are called to live a vocation in our lives and to do things that for many years were seen to be done only by priests or religious. So I suppose some people would say, well, what is the point in the modern world of a young woman like yourself taking vows and entering a convent? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think part of the gifts of this year of your consecrated life has been to just reflect on that very thing. Like, what what is the purpose of religious life, you know? And um, Pope Francis has had great things to say about this and reminding us of, you know, what the church has said throughout the ages. And one thing he that's been sticking with me is he keeps talking about the religious call to be a prophet. And, you know, when a lot of people, when you read scripture and you think of prophets, you think of, oh, these people are announcing gloom and doom, you know, and dying, getting killed by their own peers, you know, um, but a prophet really is someone who is chosen by God um, to point out the path. So a prophet, you know, we don't, the prophets usually they were the weakest ones, right? The, they had speech impediments or they were young or they're, they're usually not the ones you would expect. But for some reason, God has chosen them to be his voice for the people. And so in religious life, this is our goal is we're we're called to this prophetic life to be a witness to the Lord um, in a way that is we're set apart. So um, the relig- the heart of religious life is the vows. You know, we take three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, mm-hmm. and these vows enable us to belong totally to Christ in a way that's different from other vocations. And so we're free by these vows. We're freed to go wherever He sends us. And to be these lights, these prophetic lights, to bring the people of God um, to closer union with Him. So I that's think an interesting. If I sorry, if I may cut across oh, there, yes, sister, yes. that's that's an interesting way. I've I've never heard someone before describe the vows as being free. It's a, yeah, it's, you know, it's not kind of what you would you would kind of the modern world or the modern mind would understand as being free you know you know that's an interesting that's an interesting way of looking at it yeah i think a lot of people when they they hear you know the vow of chastity it means you're saying no 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 to you know to marriage to children but really the vow of chastity is saying a total complete yes to god you know i give you my whole self my my soul, my body, everything is yours. And same with poverty. You know, it's not the saying no to things. It's saying, yes, I have arms open to receive whatever you whatever you have for me, Lord. And obedience is, I think that's the hardest one. Mm. You know, I, people think, oh, you're just, you know, being told what to do all the time. But really, if, obedience is this yes to God's will, whatever it, whatever it is. I'm, it's, a, it's a freedom because I, I can know with all my being what God's will is for me when I you know, a superior asks me to do something. I know that's God's will. So it's a total freedom, actually. Um, and yeah, I know I know that's kind of countercultural. Most people would think of it as like a binding thing, but really it's something that frees us to do God's will. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the prophetic life, if we're if we're living this um, freedom to be life, the religious life is a sign of joy. And Pope Francis says that he says, you know, wherever there are religious, there should be joy. Um, so that I think that's the particular witness that religious are called to give to the world that um, is unique in that um, they are they go to whoever they're sent to, and are are guided to to the joy of the gospel. Thank you, sister. Do you know, we, we we're kind of going to leave it there for a minute, right? Okay. And we we need to we need to go to take an ad break. But before we do that, I'm going to invite you to introduce our next piece of music. Oh yes, thank you. So the the next piece of music I've asked um, if they wouldn't mind playing is it's a really special song to a to Dominicans throughout the world. It's the Salve Regina, which is Latin for Hail Holy Queen, and this is a prayer that our community chants every single night before uh, right after night prayers right before we you know go to bed for the night we pray this this the, we sing this in honor of our lady um so it's really beautiful after night prayer the, the lights will go dim in the chapel and there's a procession to the statue of our lady and during this procession the one of the sisters comes by and sprinkles us with holy water which goes back to the tradition of saint dominic received a vision of our lady sprinkling the brethren with holy water before they went to bed. So um, I, this is a, a chant that's very special to Dominicans. This particular rendition is the Dominican priests, the Dominican friars, um, chanting the Salve. Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. 